The following podcast is part of the MindBodySpirit.fm podcast network. Meditation doesn't have to be a solo practice. Meditation is more fun with friends. Looking for a way to drop in and hang out at the same time? Join us online at Omega Institute for a meditation party with self-proclaimed meditation nerds Dan Harris, host of the 10% Happier podcast, Sabene Selassie and Jeff Warren. This three-day retreat will stream live from Omega's Hudson Valley Campus, May 17th to 19th. Don't miss the party. Reserve your spot at eomega.org slash party today. You're listening to Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Welcome to Spirit of Recovery, offering support for your spiritual growth and addiction recovery. Here's Reverend Lonnie Vanderslice and Reverend Dan Beckett. Welcome to Spirit of Recovery on Unity Online Radio. We're glad you're with us today. I am Reverend Lonnie Vanderslice. And I'm Reverend Dan Beckett. And together we discuss the ways that spirituality and recovery intertwine and work together to support your spiritual growth in your recovery journey. If you are listening live, you're welcome to join us in the discussion with your comments and questions. You can call us right now at 816-251-3555. Again, the number is 816-251-3555. We'd love to hear from you. And Facebook users, you can also message us during the show or anytime during the week from our Facebook page, Spirit of Recovery. Just click the Send Message button right below the banner. And just as with phone calls, your anonymity is always respected. So today's show is titled, But I Can Do It Better. You know, self-centeredness shows up in a whole lot of ways. And one of the ways that it shows up in addicts and alcoholics is this attitude that says, I'll just do it myself. We have not been adept at allowing others to participate with us in our lives. So in recovery, we learn to be an equal partner, to share the load, which allows us to work well with others. No longer do we feel the need to have to do everything our way ourselves. So today, we want to share how we learned to share the burdens of life with others and to find community and peace along the way. We'll begin by sharing our own experiences of that need so many of us seem to have to do things ourselves in our way. Then we'll move into the solution of sharing the load, physically, emotionally, spiritually. After the break, we'll discuss exactly how learning to share the load helped us to create peace and community in our lives. So, Lonnie, how did that, uh, we could call it Lone Ranger Syndrome, how did that show up in earlier in your life? Well, you know, when I was thinking about this, I was thinking about childhood. As the eldest of four children, pretty closely grouped, I got uh, put in charge, if you will, and um, and I I didn't have a clue as to how to get anybody to cooperate. And so for a very long time, Um, I either felt like I had to do it myself or I had to boss people around, you know, tell them what to do and and try to get somebody to do something the way I wanted it done. And then if I got in trouble because it wasn't done or it wasn't done right, it kind of ran into that. Well, I guess I'll just have to do it myself. When I thought about uh, ways that I've been that kind of, you know, do, do it myself, Lone Ranger character having to do everything myself, I remembered that 
when I was a kid, little kid, I'm talking about, you know, three, four or five years old, I think, uh, I always wanted to do, to, you know, quote, do it by myself. I want to do it by myself, uh, which I remember used to drive my mom crazy. And I don't know why, you know, it's just sort of like an eye rolling thing for her. And I learned uh, later that apparently my granddad, my father's dad, was exactly the same way. And he, I don't know, I didn't, I didn't experience him in that way um, as a child. But looking back, I can kind of see it in him. Um, I think that this this happens to many, many people, not just those of us uh, with addiction, but for those of us who are blessed with addictions, it becomes a particularly important point of focus at some point. But I mean, for me, it goes, it must go all the way back to the beginning. Oh, I think that that's a normal part of childhood. You know, whenever we learn to tie our shoes or whatever, no, I want to do it myself, dress myself or whatever. But, you know, um, I know that I got stuck in some of that. And another way that that showed up with me was that I didn't know, um, I, I was afraid of failure really. And so I didn't want to ask for help, but I, w- I would try to do it myself. And I didn't feel like I could reach out. I didn't feel like it was something that I was going to get any any assistance with. And so I could, didn't ask somebody else. I just would struggle through. And maybe I figured out how to do whatever I was trying to do, and maybe I didn't. But it meant not sharing my failures, and it meant not sharing my vulnerabilities if I did it myself. I didn't have to, I didn't have to share my struggles. Yeah, I can identify with that for sure. I know also that I've always had, you know, pretty specific ideas of what right, you know, quote, what doing it right uh, looks like. And I know that I was not always very flexible with that. Um, I still do often have um, uh, clear ideas of what doing it right looks like, but but I'm a lot more flexible nowadays. And uh, I am finding more and more situations where I, for whatever reason, and I'm grateful for this. I, I no longer seem to even internally need to conclude what is the, what is the best way of doing it? You know, because it's a progression. Uh, I know the best way to do it. I, I'm going to do it my way so it gets done right. I know the best way to do it. You do it and you better do it my way. Or I know the best way to do it, but you do it and I'll keep my mouth shut, even though I know the best way to do it. And I hope you do too. But if you don't, I'll be nice about it and be quiet. And I'm all the way to, you know what? This is yours. Go for it. I'm sure it'll be great. I'm seeing more of the latter and less of the former, which I'm grateful for. You know, this perfectionism um, that I seem to um, have nurtured in my life really sets the stage for this. Uh, I want to do it myself. I want to make sure it's done right. Um, It's not just the end result that I'm after, but also the process. There's a right process. And I really got stuck in my recovery with that at one point because uh, I was sure that nobody could get clean and sober unless they did it the way that I did it. (laughs) And, you know, and that was, of course, not correct. There's lots of ways to get clean and sober. But, um, you know, it has to be done perfectly by the book according to to XYZ, whatever it was. And uh, that shows up over and over again in my life, whether it's the way that the dishes are put away or the way you load the dishwasher or, you know, the way that I approach any kind of a task. And I think that that fed into that. Uh, now that you mentioned the dishwasher, I definitely have uh, opinions about the, the the best way. I'll just call it best. I don't know if it's most efficient. I always have reasons for everything, of course. Uh, we have a new dishwasher here at home, and I don't know why. 
Uh, the thing's, you know, leveled and balanced as far as I know. But if you put, like, heavy things, like we have these, um, or the, 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 I don't know, our dinner plates are heavy. I don't know what it's called. There's a word for it. Uh, but if you put the dinner plates in, in the front of the thing, the, it, it won't stay open. It can, the, the little rack slides in by itself. If you put them in the back of the thing, the rack doesn't slide in. So that's on my list of the right way to load the dishwasher is make sure you put the plates in the back so the thing doesn't constantly slide back in, which drives me crazy. So, yeah, I mean, I, I can still – I still have uh, ideas about good ways to do things. I'm just – I'm just, you know, this far in recovery, I'm not nearly as attached to them as I used to be. In fact, as I shared before, I can I can kind of uh, let them go when I need to. Uh, one thing, though, that I remember is that uh, in general, I did not trust other people to do things right or to even do them well or even to do them at all. Uh, I, and in general, for me as a kid, you know, people were not trustworthy as a rule. And if I wanted something done, I should probably just leave them out of it. Life was much easier if I just left other people out of it. So that's another way that that kind of lone rangering showed up for me early on. Well, you know, it seems like the opposite of being a lone ranger is, is delegating. And so I was told to, you know, get somebody else to do this, whatever the this was. And first it was by being bossy, you know, um, asking or telling, more likely, somebody to, to handle this, whatever it was. You know, and I'm thinking of my youth. And that didn't work, you know, because I was seen as bossy. And I didn't want to be seen that way. And so I was afraid of what other people would think if I started um, I had some responsible jobs then as a young adult, and if I started asking people to do things that I was perfectly capable of, and I got a, a crossways look from them for whatever reason, um, I would go, oh, maybe I shouldn't have done that, you know, and then I would think, well, maybe I need to do this myself. And I would, I had all these fears and anxieties and, and paranoia, which was fed by the addiction, the alcoholism. Uh, in particular, that set me up for that, to to be worried about what everybody else was thinking all of the time. And so, you know, I was I had this fear of being seen seen as incompetent. And so, I'm not going to ask somebody to do something because they might think that I'm that I can't do this, uh, whatever it was. And so, you know, I I had these these fears that drove me to. Um, to not delegate, to to go my own way, to be the loner. And then in other cases, there was a situation where it was an ego trip. Wow, look what I can do. You can't do this. I'm doing great, you know. And so it's, it's just really odd when I start looking back at all the ways that this plays out. Yeah, it's a little, it's more than a little disconcerting sometimes, I think, to look back. Because as we've shared before, and I, I could say this on every single show with every single aspect um, that we discuss, and it and it starts off. I had no idea. I did not realize that I was like X or was doing Y or or whatever. And this is in the same category. And so, yeah, um, one of the challenges I find of uh, walking a recovery path is uh, looking back and just sort of wanting to, you know, <laughs> face palm, hide. Oh my gosh, I can't believe that I used to act like that, talk like that, think like that, do that. Um, you know, it's a it's a Recovery is a mixed blessing. Certainly the, the benefits far outweigh the downside, but it, it is, what do we say? It's ego leveling, right? It's ego leveling, I think is what I'm getting at. Sometimes we talk about having superpowers, right? And one of my superpowers is focus. 
Uh, other people call it ADD. I call it the superpower of focus. And my superpower of focus can work against me sometimes, and it can work for me. But one way it can work against me is that if I have every detail of something thought through and worked out, um, that makes it really hard for me to have see that get done any other way. And so even this ability to focus that I have that can serve me so well, uh, if I if I'm out of balance with it, um, I don't want to let anyone else do anything differently because I've already worked out every detail of how this should be. So that, that's a way that focusing kind of, you know, kept me in a box. It gets me out of boxes too, but it can also create boxes. You know, and these superpowers do give us the ability to cope in a lot of ways that we wouldn't otherwise know, you know, that, that we get we get trained because of our ability to stick to something, to obsess about it until we get it perfect. But, you know, one of the things that that did for me, uh, not an outward behavior, was an inward thing. It I felt so isolated. I couldn't talk to anybody about it. I couldn't uh, invite anybody to participate in my life. I couldn't share what I was feeling or what I was thinking because I thought they'd figure out that I was crazy, you know, <laughs> and 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 I had resentments. I had all kinds of resentments because I'm always stuck doing all the work. You guys get to go home on time and I'm still stuck here doing all this work. You know, what? I what's wrong with this picture? I can't figure it out, but I, I'm not going to let you do any of the work because you might do it wrong. I noticed that... Um... I certainly did not know. I didn't have skills around working well with others. And to me, it was a very black and white thing. You know, it was either uh, you're the expert or I'm the expert. You know, there was sort of no middle ground. We're doing it your way or we're doing it my way. Um, I, I don't know why, but for whatever reason, you know, even from a young age, I did not learn along the way that kind of flexibility you know i ended up with it's it's all or nothing it's black and white it's my way or your way one extreme or the other one way or the other very little balance you know we talk about balance being defined as that middle point that we go flying past on the way from one extreme to another uh, that has my name all over it <laughs> so now that we know about this challenge of always going it alone what's the solution well, in Unity, we affirm that we are not alone in the world and that we don't have to do everything ourselves. We know we are, in fact, all connected spiritually in a very deep way. And in Unity, we call this connection oneness. And the way that oneness shows up in today's topic is in the idea that we can improve our life experience by working well with others, sharing the challenges and the joys of life as we go along. So participating with others in this way is exactly how we can move from a mindset that tells us we have to do everything our way and do it ourselves into something else. Basically, we can learn to share the load and to create the peace of mind along the way. And that's what we want to focus on today. So this all sounds great. And though it sounds wonderful, exactly what does it look like? And how do I know if I'm sharing the load versus, say, what we were talking about, bossing people around? How can I tell? You got any ideas, Dan? Well, I, I asked myself that question. What does sharing the load look like? I don't know that I've ever asked myself that uh, before today. And that and that helped me kind of uh, wrap my head around it a little bit. One way that it looks is that it looks like me learning to communicate my needs, you know, what's important to me. Not with an agenda, not trying to get anything, but just purely 
clearly communicate where I'm coming from and maybe, you know, what, why, or, or what goes along with that, you know, and I feel like when we, when we go to the thing, it's important to me that, that we do X because I really like la 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 la, you know, just straight out, uh, no agenda, simple communication of, uh, my needs. That is one way that, um, sharing the load looks like, because then even if that's all I do and we haven't even talked about, you know, literally a task or, or, you know, you wash and I'll dry or vice versa. Um, just being able to do that gets it so that I'm not the only one carrying that around, right? I'm not literally isolating myself anymore because, uh, if I'm the only one that knows what's important to me, then I, I have literally created a situation where I'm isolating myself. If I can simply communicate it, then I'm no longer isolated and the door is open to all kinds of wonderful things to come, uh, you know, come in along with that. So that's sharing the load looks like uh, learning to communicate what's important to me. You know, for me, sharing the load looks like learning to move out of fear as a motivator. You know, so much of my behavior was um, based on a, a dealing with my fear, my anxiety of, of whatever was going on that I had to learn, you know, about the communication. I was afraid to speak up. I was afraid to say what my needs were. And so uh, first, and I didn't know what my needs were. I had lots of wants, but I didn't know what I really needed. And so for me, it was this very long process of being able to um, learn what did I need? Well, I, I need to be heard. Can we sit down and have a conversation? You know, I, I can ask for that instead of following somebody around the house and saying, well, hey, what about this? What about that? Trying to engage a conversation without saying that's what I need right now. Hey, can you take 10 minutes and let's just sit down and talk? You know, so I, I agree with you 100 percent about the communication. It, it goes both ways. And part of my story uh, with the with the previous to understanding this was manipulating people to get my needs met, setting up scenarios and situations so that um, I'd be trapped in a car with them and they'd have to listen to me or something like that, you know, instead of just coming out and saying, this is what I need or this is what I want or can we do this? And, you know, part of that I realized is because I did not want to be vulnerable. And so to drop the anxiety and the fear required that I learned to be vulnerable. I can totally identify with that as well. Um, the other side of learning to communicate what's important is, uh, for me, is being able to, you know, developing the skill of letting go of that which really is not important to me. You know, I don't need uh, everything to go my way. Uh, there are probably some aspects of any situation that are more important to me and some that are less important to me. And so uh, right along the way as I'm, learning to communicate what is important, which means that I've determined what's important, uh, I can also kind of let everything else go. Um, you know, and uh, I, I find it works out um, fairly often that, uh, you know, what's not important to me might be important to you. And so if we're communicating on how to get something done um, and we're going into it with a, uh, a mindset, an intention, uh, which is a powerful spiritual tool and intention to create a situation that works for everyone. You know, just like uh, unity um, is all about now creating a world that works for everyone. If we go into things with an intention of creating an arrangement that works for other one, everyone, um, it's often the case that 
what's important to you is not to me and what's important to me may not be to you and we're perfectly compatible. And if that's not true, that's okay. You know, we can, we can work out something. Well, you know, this time you do that and, and next time I'll do it. You know, there are lots of ways to uh, find a path to harmony and working together. And, and it, it begins with those two things, what's important to me and therefore what's not. And, and I can just let go of what's not. One of the things that I learned about sharing the load is that everybody has different skills and abilities. And instead of me trying to do everything, it, it helped to stand back and say, what am I good at? What can I contribute in this situation and what am I not so good at? What can I can I ask somebody else to do? Or if I am asked to do, can I give it a try even though I may not feel like I'm expert at it? And so being able to say, um, you know, I know that these are my strong points and I'm I can help here or I would like to play, I'd like to do those things, or this is a weak point and I need to learn how to do this. Can you teach me? You know, would you would you share with me how how do we approach this? How do we do this? What is it that you need? Uh, it's still in my bucket called all falls under communication, you know, learning to ask for what I need and learning to share. Yeah, I, I've had that experience also, uh, how important it is to learn to communicate clearly and to learn to communicate without an agenda, you know, just to communicate for communicating, not communicate to try and manipulate someone into doing something or not doing something, but just to communicate. I have to say, I have noticed that the downside of learning to communicate better is now I see all those who I judge as not very good at communicating. And I, I got a whole new thing to work on that I wasn't even that aware of. Uh, you know, thank you, God, I suppose, for that opportunity. Uh, one way that sharing the load looks for me is being just being willing to be part of the group, you know, and do things, quote, the group way. Now, this, of course, uh, comes up a lot in, in recovery communities and recovery groups. And I know that, um, one thing that was helpful to me particularly was when I began to do things like go to the group business meeting or be willing to stand for a, um, a role in the group GSR or, or um, a treasurer, I've been treasurer, uh, things like that. Uh, I, I learned to do things the group way, you know, just to be part of it. Because certainly, uh, given any situation, I, I am generally a good problem solver. Um, and my challenge is to know when it's appropriate to use my problem solving skills and when it's appropriate to just, you know, let it go. It's, it's not something I need to do. And, and being part of the group in that way helped me to learn to do things the way the group does things might, might be, might make sense to me. It might not, uh, might be similar to what I was thinking and it might not, but just to be in the presence of the group and to watch how that whole concept of trusting the group conscience to watch how that works and to watch how everything is okay. You know, the, the home group that I was in for a long time began in 1945. And I know that because th there were many, many wooden plaques on the walls, all the, all the sayings, you know, adjusted attitudes and, um, you know, uh, keep coming back and all that stuff all over the walls, including one that said this group was established in 1945. And that helped me because, you know, early on when I'm sitting there thinking, oh no, we should do it this, I realized, you know what, somehow or other, and I don't know, this is a miracle. This group managed <laughs> to get this far without me. And, and they can probably make it through this decision if they don't absolutely do it my way as well. So those are a couple ways that um, just 
being willing to be part of the group, let do things the group way for once uh, has helped me a great deal in uh, learning, learning to share the load in other situations. Yeah, it's amazing when we find out that we are not the center of the world. (laughs) (laughs) And it's amazing to, to think how much we operated in that manner. You know, one of the things that I um, had to learn how to do when I started asking people was how to, how to ask, you know, how to ask for help, how to ask to be a part of, um, you know, I had all of these old habits of trying to get my needs met through coercion or manipulation or, or uh, bribery or, you know, whatever else, but I didn't know how to ask in a clear and consistent manner, you know, f- that would for example, um, honor their choice, their will, you know, their ability to say no. What am I going to do if they say no? I already had an agenda. I want them to say yes. You know, so how do I leave that open-ended for them? How do I respectfully ask them if they would consider doing this? You know, and then how do I take rejection if they say no? You know, I had to work through all those kind of little little details, and actually they were really big deals, um, you know, because then once I get my defensiveness or defiance up, then it's like, well, you need to do this because, you know, and so then I would start trying to twist arms. And so, you know, this was really um, uh, an enlightening piece of the journey of how do I ask for help? That's not a simple thing. We could we could do a whole show just about that, I think, asking for help. Uh, another way that sharing the load looked for me is uh, you know learning to let other people do it their way and and not feeling like that I was somehow in competition with my way of doing it. Um, so for example, uh, I may have a good idea of how I think something could best be done. I probably do. Um, and I'm thinking now of the context of the uh, recovery home group, you know, someone else might have a, a very different way of doing it that, that I could easily feel like now I'm somehow in competition with them. My way of doing it is now in competition with their way of doing it. And of course, I like my way because it's my way and I'm comfortable with it or for whatever reason. But learning to let other people kind of have their way and do it their way without it having to be a competition, even, even, if it's, even if they're really very opposite ways of doing things. So we talked before about um, when we go into a situation with setting an intention of finding a solution that works for everyone, that's a very powerful approach. And we will often find that what's important to me is not to you. And we have all these compatibilities. But sometimes we might both have different ideas about something that is important to each of us. And so I have to learn uh, when it's okay to just let someone else do it their way. Who cares? You know, if I'm so right then the universe will teach that lesson. I don't need to, right? Or maybe my way is just my way. And maybe their way is perfectly fine too. Let me just uh, step back, choose to step back in this situation and, you know, let it unfold in a way that doesn't feel right to me and um, see what happens. And and what I noticed, again, exactly related to, um, the home group that's, that made it from 1945 till I got there miraculously without falling apart is that, you know what, when we do it the other person's way, everything's fine. So hold that thought because it's time for a short break. And when we come back, we'd love to hear from you as we continue this conversation. The phone number to dial is 816-251-3555. Please stay with us.
Experience the difference. Unity Online Radio. The voice of an awakening world. If you've been inspired by the programming on Unity Online Radio, we hope you will give your support so others may be inspired too. This online radio network depends on the support of listeners like you to continue operating and expand its outreach. Go to unityonlineradio.org and click on Donate today. Here's a Unity Teachable Moment with Rev. Wendy Craig Purcell, taken from a talk called The Plan Unfolds. One of the other aspects of helping to really identify a true new beginning is being willing to sit in deep questions and pay attention to your answers to those deep questions. Deep questions like, what does my soul really long to do and be? If I didn't have to worry about paying bills, what would I really want to do? I'm not suggesting that you drop the the real responsibilities of adulthood, but you can drop that from your process of questioning. What does my heart and soul long for? And what do I need to do to begin to build my life, more of my life, to look like that? To find a Unity Church near you, visit unity.org. Get your copy of Unity Magazine this month and deepen your spiritual journey. Pastor Nadia Boltzweber talks about the need to make a holy shift. Carolyn Mace gets gutsy with God. Justine Willis-Toms dives into new dimensions. And Alberto Violdo shares an excerpt from his new book, Heart of the Shaman. Subscribe for one year and save $5 off the cover price and get the digital edition free. Go to unitymagazine.org and get a free trial issue today. What if you could start each day with a positive outlook, remembering you are a divine expression of God? Daily Word is a booklet of daily devotionals offering positivity that's downright contagious. With a print subscription or by email, you can pause to reflect on how to practice spirituality in your human experience. Reading Daily Word takes about a minute a day, so you can feel uplifted every morning. Visit dailyword.com to subscribe. Tune into Everyday Attraction with Ray Zander every Friday at 12 p.m. Central here on Unity Online Radio. Take a deep dive into the teachings of Abraham and discover how to make the law of attraction work for you in your life. Each week, Ray goes into the heart of understanding the power of our emotions and how to become conscious co-creators. Learn how to release resistant thoughts and live life to the fullest. Find out more at everydayattraction.com. Call now with your question or comment. 816-251-3555. That's 816-251-3555. Welcome back to Spirit of Recovery with Rev. Lonnie Vanderslice and Rev. Dan Beckett.
Welcome back to Spirit of Recovery. We're glad you're with us today. And if you're just joining us, my name is Reverend Lonnie Vanderslice, and I'm here with Reverend Dan Beckett. We will resume our discussion in a moment, but first we want to let you know that the phone lines are open. So if you have a question or a comment to share, please give us a call at 816-251-3555. Again, that number is 816-251-3555. So prior to the break, we were discussing our experiences of being that kind of lone ranger, you know, having to do everything our way, not, not working well with others. And then we also talked about, well, what does sharing the load look like? You know, how do we know if we're doing it or if we're not doing it? So now if we know, we know about that challenge, our tendency always to want to go it alone, and that the solution is learning to share the load with others, how exactly can learning to work well with others help us create peace in our lives? Well, when I think about that, the first thing I think about is that I got to get out of my own head. I got to quit thinking that it's all about me, you know, and, and letting go of that thought is, is really a challenge. You know, part of my survival skills has always been, what about me? You know, and so one of the tools that I used uh, to do that was, uh, I will call it a denial. When I would be uh, trapped in some emotional discord because of a response I got from somebody about, about something or another, I would say, it's not about me. 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 You know, as I walked, went, each foot went down. It's not about me. It's not about me. I had to break this obsessive thought that, oh, why did they say that? Well, what did I do wrong? Well, you know, I, I, I must have I messed up here. Or, you know, I mean, it was all, all my thoughts were all about me. And so to learn to, to work in a community with a community and to share the load, I had to get out of the everything is all about me. One thing that I did was, um, in, you know, file this under uh, an experiment. And, and I have several of these that I can think of. You know, just it's it's a willingness to see what would happen if I just did something different. So what would happen if I didn't do X? You know, I know the right way to do it. I feel strongly like it needs to be done. I'm worried about what's going to happen if it doesn't get done. Well, maybe there's one of those circumstances that I could relax a little bit and ask myself, well, you know, have you ever just not done that and see what happens if you don't? And I was able to find times when that was the case, and I saw what happened if I didn't do it, and nothing happened. If it, nothing bad at all happened if I didn't do it. I didn't miss out on something good. I didn't get something bad in my life. It was no big deal. But I wouldn't have known that had I not um, been willing to do that little um, kind of uh, you know experience experiment, I'll call it. Um, one way that that stands out most for me and a way that kind of the one thing that I did that gained me the, the most peace of mind by far was um, I decided that in my life in general, uh, I am going to love everything I do and I'm going to do the things that I love. And if I don't love it, I'm not doing it. And I was in the middle of a master's program when I decided to do this. And uh, it was a radical idea, and I did it anyway. What would happen if I followed my guidance that said, you know, read the article, but you don't need to read the chapter in the book ahead of class? What? You know, that, that, that seems outrageous. Or um, don't worry about that paper. If you started it a week from today, you'll still be fine. 
when my mind is telling me, man, I should have started it last week. So I followed that guidance. I let go of a ton of things like that. And not only did nothing go wrong, everything went great. And my life experience was great. And the quality of my work was high. And the way I showed up in the community was good. And I was amazed and I have lived that way ever since then. Uh, trusting my guidance and just sort of shattering a whole bunch of those, uh, you know, uh, oh, you, you you better do this or, or something bad's going to happen. You better do it your way or it's all going to fall apart and it'll be painful for you. Um, th- that was not the case. So again, file that under an experiment. What would happen if I just didn't do something? Now, you got to be careful with that. You said, what, what would happen if I just didn't open my eyes while I'm driving down the highway is not a good experiment to do. But what would happen if I followed my guidance that said, you know what, you'll be okay if you don't read that till tomorrow. You'll be okay if all the dishes don't get put in the dishwasher right now tonight. You could do it in the morning. And just see what happens. And I found it extremely liberating, life-changing liberating, in fact. You know, one of the challenges that I had um, all along when I first got in the program was priorities. You know, I had this concept that all of these things that I thought were important was what I should be spending my time and my energy on. And it relates to what you just shared. And I learned that I had to get my priorities in order. I had to, um, for me, it started with our acronym HALT. And I add an S to that. It's uh, hungry, angry, lonely, tired. If I do not do those things first, my emotional condition is shaky and the S is sick. If I'm, if I'm sick, that also comes into that. I have to, to take care of those priorities before I can show up effectively in a community. Otherwise, I'm irritable. I'm restless. I'm tired. Uh, I'm, I'm angry. I'm, I'm um, you know, just not a very pleasant person to be around. And so when I'm saying, should I write this paper, but it's supper time, well, I don't have time to go eat. You know, I had to rearrange my priorities and make a commitment to myself that I was going to do what I know I needed to do for self-care. And that still today is a practice that I have to look at is, um, you know, with all the commitments that I make in my life, um, and some of them are over commitments. I thought I could, and now I don't think I have the time. You know, uh, I, have, I have to start with self-care. You know, am I doing what I need to self-care wise? Yeah, I'm glad you said that. That That is something I learned along the way. And it it, it may have been even in, in seminary where that became particularly important, where we were encouraged to uh, not only, you know, nod our heads to the concept, but to actually create a plan of, what, well, what does good self-care look like for you? in your life? You know, what are the things that I enjoy doing um, and and create a strategy around it? You know, and, and some of it for me is quiet time, you know, time where I'm literally in a quiet place alone. I can recharge very quickly in that way. Part of it was uh, something I've heard a lot from uh, spiritual teachers and people who are on um, serious spiritual growth paths is, is body work. You know, getting a massage or something sounds like uh, like a luxury um, that I sh- would only want to do on a special occasion every other year. I find that it's an essential part of my development because as was explained to me, um, you know, an emotion is kind of a thought that that ha- that is anchored, rooted in our body. And so you can 
you can locate any emotion. I can locate any emotion in my body after I learn that. And body work is not just a, a feel-good thing to do. It is literally helping us process old uh, hurts, old information, and it's helping us to move forward in time. So I'm, I'm glad that you mentioned that. I can't, I can't agree more how important self-care is and, and being, um, you know, being on purpose about it. Not just being, um, not just casual, not giving lip service to the concept, but, you know, it's on my calendar. You know, I can, I, I can point at things that are part of my uh, self-care um, regimen, if you will. And uh, I, I don't, I, I couldn't be doing what I'm doing out in the world now without it. So I'm really glad you mentioned that. Well, I think it's an essential part. And, you know, one of the things that was so helpful to me was to have a sponsor that um, walked her talk. And what that meant was to me is that when she said, we're going to go to the park and hang out with the dogs, that's what she did. And I was invited to go along with her. And I saw what does relaxation look like? You know, what does um, what does sharing time with other people look like? What does play look like? Uh, how and how do I do that? How does she make time for that? Because it seems like she's always at a meeting. You know, how does she juggle her schedule to fit in work, family, uh, meetings, play, recovery, all of the things that nurture her? And I I could hear these things in a meeting, but having uh, somebody in my life that modeled that for me was just critical for me being able to go. Oh well, maybe I could do it this way. Yeah, I love that, and I can picture it. I, I like your example too of uh, going to the park with the dogs. I can, it was so easy to picture the relaxation. And of course I pictured it in shade. Um, it's 93 degrees here today, which, which honestly, now that I'm getting used to the South did not feel that warm. Uh, if I didn't have a thermometer, I would have guessed it's 85. I walked out and said, Oh, it's pretty warm today. That means it's in the nineties. Uh, I pictured you in the shade in a nice cool place, maybe even in the Kansas city area. Uh, I want to talk about another experiment that I had done. It is almost just the opposite of the first one, which was uh, what would happen if I didn't do X. This one is what would happen if I just let someone else do it their way, you know, completely sever all connections, strings that I might have. Um, uh, what's the word for it? You know, investment. Oh, I need it. They should do it this way. Oh, man, if they don't do it that way, it, you know, things are going to go wrong. What would happen if I just let go of all of that and said, you know what? I, I think things are going to be fine. So let me just move ahead on that footing. And, and maybe even I can support them and ask, is there anything I can do to help? Um, get this done. And thank you for taking the lead on this. What would happen if I let someone else do it their way? And and what happens 99.99% of the time is everything's perfectly fine. And it, and it took no effort from me. And I was actually able to be constructive and helpful and supportive, which contributed to the whole dynamic. And it was easy. You know, it almost felt like I was doing something wrong. How How could I get... How could I get this much positive outcome and have it be so easy at the same time? It almost feels like I'm violating some law of nature. That's not true. I was actually learning a spiritual law, that uh, the law of allowing, if I might call it that. And that has been super instructive to me. 
Yeah, that law of allowing or going with the flow, you know, for me, it was a very important piece in in all of this. Um, you know, I talked about earlier having to learn what not to do, you know, to let go of this and, and to learn not to overcommit and not to not to uh, ignore my self-care needs and things like that. Uh, for in each of those situations, I had to learn what not to do, and then I had to learn what to do. And you you mentioned letting go, letting go of the idea that only you have the right idea about how to go about this or this process. And what I found for me is that my first step in letting go is I've got a really um, kind of a uh huh, we'll see how this goes kind of attitude about it, you know. Sure, go ahead and do it, you know, and I'm kind of hands off. And 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 that has an air of anger or resentment or fear or something with that. I'm not really mm-hmm. letting go when I'm at that place. Right. You know, because I'm waiting for somebody to fail. And then because that sets me up to be the hero. And that's a character defect I've known about for a long time, but the the dynamic can still show up. You know, so I, I have to be attentive to that. And so then I learned that I I can't do it if I don't let go of this. I'm going to sink myself. I'm going to sabotage myself. So that's letting go in fear. Well, that's that helps is helpful for letting go, but that's still not the right intention in letting go. And so finally, I can get to the place that you described where I can let go and be compassionate and I can let go and be helpful, you know, or or be um, uh, contribute to the situation or whatever. And so that letting go for me has always got, as we say, claw marks all over it. You know, it's always <laughs> this process. Yeah, I, I agree. It is a process. It has layers. I was just thinking these things are layered. And one layer, one way that I've, I've seen this layering happen is uh, related to, believe it or not, uh, planning my time well. Now, planning my time well is almost always as simple as being realistic about, you know, if I've got to be at this place at this time, being realistic about what time do I need to leave, therefore what time do I need to stand up from what I'm doing. You know, I can't leave at 5 and have my alarm go off at 5 and I left out, oh yeah, find my keys, find my wallet, put my shoes on, tell everyone that I'm going and when I'll be, you know, I left out a whole bunch of things. And I have noticed, for example, uh, if I'm driving somewhere, if I don't plan my time well, which means I feel like I'm running late or I'm going to be late, all the other drivers are much, much worse drivers <laughs> than if I do plan my time well and I'm not worried. I've got plenty of time. I'm going to be there five, ten minutes early even. That'll be great. I can just sort of hang around, see what's going on. And so just not planning well can push me into feeling like I got to get it done my way right now. You know, it brings up that fear and that pressure. Planning for time alleviates all of that. So that was a, that was a, a, a new understanding for me because I would not have thought that I could address the issue of needing things done my way by doing the seemingly unrelated thing that says just be realistic about how long is it going to take to get somewhere. Plan my time well. All of a sudden, I'm not so attached to things having to get done right now my way. You know, it's it's interesting you bring up time. You know, that has been um, a thorn for me forever uh, in getting four younger sisters, all three younger sisters, all out the door and on the school bus and all of that. I became hyper attentive to time. And I find that that unconsciously can still drive me. And we're talking about not 
not planning well is just making assumptions that I have to leave at this time or at that time or um, that these things have to happen. And I find myself there early. Well, what it does, the, the downside of that is it drives everybody else crazy because they have a realistic expectation. They know it's only going to take 10 minutes to get there, but I want to leave a half hour early. You know, and that's a way that that's something else that I have to let go of. I, and you know, sometimes I just have to go, okay, just breathe through it. It's going to be fine. We'll let it be their way. You know, they're driving. I don't need to be saying, come on, let's go, let's go, you know, because what's going to happen if I'm five minutes late? Nothing. I'll be five minutes late. And, you know, and that was something that I had to work on a lot in early recovery and, and learning some techniques, first of all, to recognize it, that that's what was going on in my head. And then secondly, to, to be able to breathe through it and talk myself down was helpful. Yeah, I can see that. It's that uh, almost over overcompensating, over planning, uh, putting too much emphasis on things. It's I guess it's another um, another take on balance is is what you're describing. I remember uh, someone from a, a recovery home group that I was in for years um, who said something once that has always stuck with me. And I, I've said it here before. I've said it many times. You reminded me uh, of it today. And she in a meeting said, this was so profound. I can remember where I was sitting, where she was sitting. And I can hear her voice saying this. This is Debbie M. She knows who she is. Um, who made me the teacher? Who made me the teacher? Who, who waved what magic wand that said that I'm the one that has to tell everybody how things need to get done? <laughs> What if someone else knows something about this that I don't know? I know that seems impossible, but what if someone else knew more about this than I do, but I can't see that because I can't stop thinking about my own way of doing it? You know, who made me the teacher? Why don't I just let this unfold uh, according again uh, to the group's way of doing things? Why don't I just be quiet and see if somebody else speaks up? and has uh, maybe even a better way of expressing uh, what's floating around in my head. Or uh, maybe I can just share what's floating around in my head, again, without an agenda, not trying to manipulate, not trying to control the situation genuinely uh, with an intention of putting uh, a thought out into the group uh, to see what happens. And, and I don't care if it becomes the star of the show and I don't care if it dies and it seems like no one even really heard what I said. You know, who made me the teacher? What, what if I can just be okay with, with allowing uh, this to unfold according to someone else's way or according to the group way? That's just been such a powerful question to me. It really did, it really did change, it really did shift my consciousness in an important way when I heard that. You know, we talk about listening a lot. Go to a meeting and listen. And, and I can recall being in meetings and my idea of listening was just that I wasn't talking, you know, but I was listening with the idea of, well, that's wrong. Well, no, I'm going to say this. No, I'm going to correct that person, you know, when it's my turn, because in the book, I know it says this on this page, you know, and, and, and so coupled with judgmentalism, was this idea still that I'm right. And what I learned, the practice that I had was to sit on my hands and not go first and to purposely be at the end of the line. And what I learned about myself was that as each person added to what the, the person prior to them said, by the time it got to me, there was very little I could add to the conversation because all the points had been covered, you know, and it wasn't, and I learned that it isn't, 
you know, just me and my brain that has to have all the answers. Collectively, the group has the answers. And if I pay attention and see what can I learn from them, what can I learn from that person, what can I learn from this person, then it all starts coming together. And and I found that I don't have to be the teacher. I don't have to know the information. I just have to learn to listen and not to listen so that I can respond, but to listen for what can I learn. What a revelation. And it's so much easier, too. It is. It, it is. is so much easier. Uh, one, one thing that I've noticed is that um, if if I can just allow my understanding of a you know concept situation or a tool or whatever, if I can allow my understanding to unfold over time and, and how you know whatever way I think something needs to be done, if I can just hold that loosely and not cling to it, you know, as if my whole, uh, you know, my whole okayness in the world depends on it and allow it to unfold, um, amazing things can happen. I think that's a long way of saying to remain teachable, right? When we say that uh, we are uh, in, in setting an intention to remain teachable, uh, what that means to me is to the idea that there might be another way of doing it that I haven't heard before. And so, Whatever I'm thinking, I should hold on to it loosely, uh, and I should have my ears open and be considering other things uh, in, in case there's something that it can improve my way of doing it. Uh, one principle that um, that really stands out for me is the principle of anonymity. You know, anonymity is the spiritual principle underlying all the others we hear uh, in a recovery group, in a 12-step group. And I know that at first anonymity meant I didn't want anybody to know I was there. That's the entirety of anonymity. And then after some time passed, it became, um, I don't tell other people's stories, right? Anything I hear here, I let it stay here because it is not mine to do to share someone else's story. So it expanded a little bit to include some others in anonymity. And then uh, that idea continued to evolve and through a couple other stages, and then it became its principles over personalities. Anonymity meant that we're taking the personality out of things and we're focusing on the principles. And then finally, for whatever reason, what it means to me now is this ha it has nothing to do with me. This has nothing to do with me. This group has thrived without me. I'm a valued member of it, but this is not about me at all. That's what anonymity has evolved into. And it's, you know, it's transcend and include. It still means um, it's, it's not a place we go saying who was there. We don't share other people's stories. Uh, we put principles ahead of personalities and it's not about us. You know, that's really a hard lesson to learn. It's mind my own business, <laughs> you know, is that you know, everything's not about me. And we, we talked about that a little bit earlier. You know, one of the other things that helped me immensely was this concept of experience, strength, and hope. You know, the, the experience part. I don't have any business sharing about something I don't have any experience with. You know, otherwise it's an opinion. And I have lots of opinions and I have lots of ideas and I can tell people how I think they ought to do things. But if I have never done that thing that they're trying to do, I don't really have any business trying to share that with them. So that gave me some guidelines. You know, what is my experience with this? If I have none, I keep my mouth shut. That helps me get along with a lot of people. 
you know, because it tells me when should I talk and when should I not talk? You know, if I have experience with this, then I don't say, well, you ought to do it this way, because, of course, that just, you know, makes everybody defiant. But I say, well, you know, when I was in that situation, this is what worked for me or or I tried this and that didn't work very well. I just share experience. It takes all the work out of it. That sounds like a great description of remaining teachable. But let us let us now move into action because unity's fifth principle states it's not enough to know these truths, we must live them. That means we must each take action in order to grow and recover. So here's something you can do to move from being a lone ranger in life to peace and community by learning to release burdens and share the load. Think of a way that you might be being the lone ranger in your life. Is there something you'd love help with, but you don't ask because they won't do it right anyway? Or are there aspects of your work that maybe you could benefit from sharing the burden? Would you have more peace at home if you could share household duties more fairly and harmoniously? Where do you need a hand in life? What's important is to pick one thing, something simple to focus on for right here and right now. The idea is to learn this simple exercise today so that you can take it into your life this week and return to it anytime you choose in order to find peace. So let's use the example of learning to share household chores. So we use a statement of power or what we refer to in unity as a denial to deny any power to those old feelings or ideas of having to do everything yourself. You could say something like, I release old ideas and behaviors around household chores. They no longer define me. Repeat it a few times in your head or say it aloud, but with conviction. I release old ideas and behaviors around household chores. They no longer define me. And follow that up immediately with a bold and positive affirmation of a new experience. So you could say, supported by spirit within, I live and grow and share my life with others. And then take a few quiet moments to relax and take it easy. There's no need to struggle. Just give thanks for your new experience in the world and move on with your day. Take some time this week and affirm your new experience. We've come to the end of our time together today, and so we hope you found something that will help you on your recovery path. And we both bless you on your journey. Thank you to the listeners and callers that um, that they that they can tune into and thank you so much for my co-host Reverend Dan Beckett for the insights shared in our discussion today. And listeners again if you'd like you can connect with us on our Facebook page Spirit of Recovery and give us your thoughts and feedback. We invite you to join us again next Tuesday at 4 p.m. Central and until then have a wonder-filled week. Thanks for listening. This is Unity Online Radio, the voice of an awakening world. Hi, I'm Jane Asher, and I believe, and from what I've been shown, that when our loved ones die, they don't really leave. They just slip into the next room. On my podcast, I explore the bigger picture surrounding life on Earth, and what follows when we do die. I speak with authors, friends, transition specialists, and other experts about every facet of death, dying, grief, hospice care, cultural traditions, and also our beliefs about that final journey and what we may end up facing. Please join me on the next room on the mindbodyspirit.fm podcast network or wherever you get your podcasts.